I don't know if you uh, caught the news this morning uh, with that extra hour in bed. Hopefully you had time to, uh, to enjoy that and, and see what was going on in the world. But one of the sad stories, I literally glanced at the news this morning and the only thing I saw was that there was a guy called Matthew Perry who passed away at the age of 54. And uh, if any of you are familiar with the uh, American sitcom Friends, he was the character Chandler uh, in that TV program. And, uh, and it's tragic, really, because you know, he's, he's not that old. And, and I think it's, it's more tragic because you can watch Friends now and you can see him in his 20s and 30s and, and this, this character that he was in this program. And, and the, I don't know if you've ever seen Friends. You know, I, I can't recommend it because there's some bits in it that I just wouldn't recommend. But my wife and I enjoy watching it. And, and it's just it's good old-fashioned you know, sitcom comedy from America. But... What the appeal was, and millions of people watched this program, was that you had this group of people that were united around this common purpose of sitting in a coffee house and drinking coffee when they had nothing else to do. And none of them had proper jobs because they were always drinking coffee, and yet they lived in these amazing New York apartments and had this wonderful life together, and they all married one another, and they did all these things. They all, there was loads of sin in it, and it all just got forgotten, and, and, and there were never any consequences. And... And you could watch it and you would think that, you know, this is, this is wonderful, this friendship that they have. It kind of overcomes every adversity, every trial, everything that comes. And, and you had this guy, Chandler, who was the funny guy, made the jokes. And in the end, he gets married to one of the others and, and all of that. And it all kind of ends happily ever after. And actually, the appeal was that there's something in it that was good about that. There was a desire in all of us. And, the, and I feel sad that he's died. And I feel sad because I remember this character and this, this happy ever after. And so the reason I'm talking about that this morning is not just because I'm you know, expressing my feelings and sadness about Chandler, but, but actually it fits really well with what we're going to be looking at this morning because I think what there is in that program is an echo of something that God has actually built into us, a desire for intimacy with other people and intimacy ultimately with him as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, I will refer back to that sort of hyper-reality of friends later on, just because I think it fits with what God's saying. Um, if you didn't catch it at the beginning, I'm going to be going off to Haven to preach after this. So um, when I get to the end of the preach, we're going to be going into communion, and Joe's going to lead that through. So if you see me run off, it's not because I don't want to speak to you or anything. It's just that Steve has got a really bad throat this morning. He's got a bit of a virus, so he was supposed to be preaching here. So I'll throw that in just so you know um, why I'm running away at the end. Um, so let's read the Bible together. So Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, i.e. not Jews, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, so that is the Jews he's talking about, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both 
Well, we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, we we turn to it for truth. Lord, I pray will you reveal truth to us this morning, Lord, as we we look at this subject of fellowship, Lord, of, of peace between people, peace between man and God, and fellowship that comes from that. And so, God, I pray this morning, will you come by your Holy Spirit? Will you reveal truth? into people's hearts, Lord. It is a miraculous thing, Lord, when we turn our lives to you and when we understand that you love us and that you're for us. I pray that people will encounter you this morning, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So, we're going to have a look at fellowship this morning. So, what does the Bible say about fellowship? And we're going to talk about two kinds of fellowship. Our vertical relationship with God, fellowship with God, and then our horizontal relationship with one another. And so we'll see how one actually feeds into the other. And so I gave you that example of friends earlier. That was a horizontal relationship, horizontal fellowship that they had. But we're going to see why actually what we need as Christians, as God's people, is we first need to look at the vertical relationship with God in order for the horizontal relationship to work as well. And so right at the beginning of the Bible, I always like to go back to Genesis because I think if you're new here, you've never stepped in church before, you may not understand a lot of what we talk about. So I think it's important to, to place everything we believe right back to the beginning of creation. And you can see how, how the world has changed and how the truth of the Word of God uh, speaks into the world that we live in even today, though it was written thousands of years ago. So it says in Genesis 1 verse 26, okay, so it's talking about God at the beginning of creation. You, you probably, even if you've not been in church, you'd be familiar with God creating the earth in, in six days and then resting on the seventh day. But what we have here is God on the sixth day creating humanity, mankind. And he says this, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now that's a strange way to turn for the phrase, it, isn't it? In, in our image, in our likeness. It's just God speaking to God. But actually what we've got there is the first revelation of what we call the Trinity, that the God that we worship is not just a lonely deity in heaven all on his own, but actually it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in eternal fellowship with one another. And so the God that we worship as Christians is a God of fellowship. He is a God who exists in relationship, even with himself. And so the Trinity, we see as, as you read through the Bible, becomes uh, clearer as we go. But even right there at the beginning of Genesis, we see God uh, revealing himself in that way. And then, of course, he makes man. And, uh, and not just man, he makes man and woman. And he says, though, before he makes the woman, he, we get this um, story of, of him making the man, making Adam. And he says everything is good in his creation apart from one thing. Do you know what that one thing was that was not good? That the man was alone. And so he said, this is not good. And then it says that he made them in his image, that he made male and female, he created them. And so actually he creates fellowship between mankind as well. So for relationship with God, but also for relationship with one another. And so what you've got right at the beginning is, is you've got this fellowship going on in creation. And it says on the seventh day, God rested and all was at peace. There was shalom, peace. 
There was harmony. There was oneness between man and God and between the man and the woman. It says they were naked and unashamed. It's a good place to be when you're married. Um, and uh, it says, though, but the reason it says that is because actually they knew each other intimately. They had nothing to hide. The nakedness was not just physical nakedness. It was spiritual nakedness as well. And so there is something about that unity that actually they could be completely at ease with one another, completely real, in perfect harmony, unity, no secrets, nothing hidden, no shame. And then, of course, you get to Genesis 3, and along comes the serpent, this spiritual being in the garden who tempts them, and they eat from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and suddenly they realize that they're naked. They've disobeyed God. They've sinned. They've broken that vertical relationship with God. And at the same time, they break the horizontal relationship with one another. Suddenly, they're hiding. Suddenly, they're blaming one another. And from then on, throughout the rest of the Bible, we see that story repeat, repeat, repeat. And what happens is God steps in again and again and again. First of all, he closed them. He closed them in in animal skin. There's a sacrifice that's made right there. And then you have the story of Cain and Abel, their sons. What happens? Cain murders Abel through jealousy. And then throughout the Bible, you just see this picture playing out again. And every time God steps in and he promises that one day he is going to send the seed of the woman to make things right again. And so we go through the Old Testament and we see that all the way through, there's this promise that God is going to restore what was lost in that garden. And then we get to Jesus. And so there you go. That's the, that's the promise. Uh, sorry, that's the problem at the beginning. And so actually... What we find is, we, we read that in the passage we just looked at in two, Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says, remember at that time you were separate from Christ. So he's talking about a time when we didn't know God. And um, he's looking, Paul is looking back and saying, look, the, you're the church. He's talking to the church here and saying, looking back before you were Christians, you weren't living in shalom. You weren't living in relationship with God. Actually, you were separate from God. And so he says, remember that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And I think we see that everywhere today, don't we? That people are without hope and it's because they're without God in the world. And so when we talk about fellowship and what we're looking at as a a value is that we need something or someone to bring us back into that place of peace. We need to have peace with God before we can have peace with one another. And so the solution is in verse 13 of what we just read. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away. So he's talking to the Gentiles here. So he's got the Jews on the one hand. And these were the chosen people of God that God was working throughout history in, in the Old Testament. But now what's happening is there's this mystery in the book of Ephesians that Paul is revealing that actually God's plan wasn't just for the people of Israel to be in relationship with him, but actually for the whole world through that to come to the knowledge of God. And he invites everyone into that. And so he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so what you had actually was this separation between God's people and the rest of the world. And he's saying, no, actually, he's made, he's destroyed that barrier now. He's, he's bringing us all in to that relationship. He offers that to all of us. And he offers that to you this morning. And so as we get into this value of fellowship and, and what it means for us, it's, it's really important to understand that we've got this primary need for fellowship with God. 
And so you can actually come into the church and, and experience something of the fellowship of the church. But actually, if it doesn't begin with a relationship with God, then, then what you're doing is it's like you're watching friends. You're looking in from the outside and seeing something that looks really good. But actually, to encounter and experience those friendships, that closeness, that intimacy for yourself, there's something else that has to happen first. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see here that what God is saying is, is that you, you need to come into this relationship first. And so God offers that to us this morning. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you see the law that was given to the people of Israel. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about um, the, the different offerings that the people of Israel would give to God. And, and the first thing is they would have a burnt offering. And what they would do is they would take a, a sacrificed animal without blemish, and they would offer it before God, and the whole thing would be burnt up. And there'd be a huge cost to that. And what that is is, is representative of what was needed to, to pay for their sin. Now, it was all pointing ahead to Jesus. But after you had the, the burnt offering, the sin offering... You also had the fellowship offering. Now, the fellowship offering was different. It was still an animal without blemish that would be costly. But what you would do is you would put that on the altar, and the priest would, would offer it up to God, and some of it would be given to God, but some of it would come back to the people. And so there's this wonderful picture actually pointing ahead to Jesus that actually that he one day was going to pay the price with his own life for our sin. He was going to make good what was lost in the garden. And why that's important is because the sin of Adam and Eve was passed on to all of us. We call it original sin. And you may not even agree with it theologically, but you can look literally around the world. You can look at your own heart and see that sin has passed down to every generation since. We don't do the things that we want to do. But we do do the things that we don't want to do. Has anyone experienced that? It's like, ah, Paul says that in Romans. He's like, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this? Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got this problem of sin that has to be dealt with. And so I wanted to share a, a picture. As I, was, I read the book of Ephesians this week as I was preparing for this. And, um, and I feel, I don't know if you've got the picture. Can you put, I think there might be a verse first, but put the picture up first. You can skip on two. There we go. Um, that is a spring coming up out of the ground. And... One of the ways God speaks to us is sometimes he gives us pictures. And, and this one I, I felt came with, with real kind of weight and clarity. And I was reading the book of Ephesians, and I just want you to take a moment and just, just try and visualize this for yourself. And I'll try and describe it. It was, it was one of those moments where it's quite hard to explain. But what I saw, I looked out as if I was standing here preaching, and what I could see was the Christians in the church. And inside each one was this spring of living water. This spring, call it living water because it's bubbling up out of the ground as if it's alive. And, and it's this picture actually of the Holy Spirit of God at work. And we discover in the Bible that when you put your faith in Jesus, what happens is the Spirit of God comes and makes us alive to who he is. And that something happens inside of us that it bubbles up. And, and I looked around the room and I could see these springs of living water right around the room. And as they were flowing out, some were bigger than others. Some were, were full and like gushing geysers. And others were just little trickles, but no doubt life there. And then as I saw that water overflow, it went around the feet of everyone in the room. 
And we see that as a picture of God's presence when the Spirit comes, and, and we'll see that in the, in the passage, that, that where the Spirit dwells, we, we have the, the, the people of God is the temple of God. It's where God dwells on earth. And, and what I saw was people in the room stepping into that water. And yet some of those people didn't have that spring coming out of themselves. And what I felt God was saying is that there are people here that you come to church maybe every week and you step into this water. You step into the presence of God and there's this flow of living water and there's you know, the other Christians around you. And, and then when you leave, you step back out of that and you go back into the world and, and there's no spring coming out of your own heart. And I felt it was just such a, a clear picture that I just felt God wanted to, to share that and put that out there this morning that I believe he's going to speak to people over this. And, and it's that God wants that spring to come out of your heart. And the way that he does that is that he does it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament particularly, Paul makes it, particularly Paul when he's speaking in Romans and other places, that it's so easy to try and maintain the law to say, how can I make myself right with God? I know he's got a law. I need to obey that. But actually Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus has dealt with the law. And actually the law was only ever pointing to him. What you need is you need to have faith. You need to have faith that Jesus fulfilled the law so that you don't have to. And so if you're finding life really tough, you know, I just want to be a good person and do things right, and then maybe God will be pleased with me. You have not understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the good news that we preach. We began this series, and our values the first week was the gospel, because everything holds together in that. And so I want to just preach the gospel this morning and say to you, the only way that you will stand before God, holy and righteous, one day at that day of judgment, when Jesus returns or when you die, is if you say, no, Jesus died in my place. He lived the life that I couldn't live. He fulfilled the law so that I don't have to because I couldn't. And he took my sin and my separation from God and he took it upon himself. And in place of that, he gave me his righteousness and his favor and gave me his Holy Spirit so that I could have a relationship with God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. There is nothing you can do to earn it. You can only accept it. And so I offer it to you this morning. If you're struggling to keep God happy, you haven't got the gospel. Jesus has already satisfied everything that God wants from you. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you in this moment. Just say, look, if that's you, if you walk out of here every week feeling bone dry, and then you just live life, and then you come back in here and you think, oh, I like this, I want some of this. I feel that's for you. I feel God would say, no, you need to accept my son and stop, stop trying to please me in some other way. So, Father, I pray for anyone this morning, Lord, who is in that place. God, I feel you, you want to speak to hearts. I mean, maybe there are people here who have been going to church for 30 years and still not got the gospel. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I, as I saw that vision in the week, I saw the Spirit of God come down and just touch people, and it was like they lit up. Holy Spirit, will you come and touch people with the free gift of grace this morning? I pray you'll just land that on people's hearts, Lord. I pray that you'll break the cycle of sin in their lives, the cycle of striving and trying to please you when they can't, and instead replace that with acceptance of the free gift of grace and a love for Jesus who has done it all for us. 
Lord, come and touch people now, I pray. Set them free from their sin and bring them into the wonderful kingdom of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you feel that that was you this morning, I'd love for people to be able to pray with you at the end. Um, do come and see Joe or Ola um, or any of the leaders here and just, just come and talk that through because we'd love to pray for you. It's a wonderful thing if you've done that. So just to kind of clarify that point, so in John 7, Jesus says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Is anyone thirsty this morning? Have you got a thirst and a hunger for something more? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then go forward a, a few months perhaps, and suddenly the Spirit of God comes on the church. and just sets them on fire, and they go out and change the world. And so we ask that question, are you thirsty this morning? Yeah, I am. I love God's presence. I love, I love being here last Sunday with Terry Virgo, just preaching on the spirit of God and just go, God, I want more of you. It's so good. That fellowship with God, it's just, it, there's nothing else like it. And actually, when we come together in fellowship and we experience God together, there's something incredible about that as well. It's what the cast of friends were trying to appeal to. It's what they were trying to create was this thing that they knew must exist. And yet, actually, this was the fictitious hyper-reality. But actually, in the church, those friendships, that intimacy, that being naked and unashamed in the sense of being known and knowing other people. There's nothing like confessing your sin to another Christian and them just praying for you, going, oh, that must be so tough. I, I know exactly how you feel. I struggle with that as well. What we fear is that we're going to get judgment. Because actually, in the world, you get, oh, that's, you know, can't believe you like that. But no, actually, we come and we be ourselves. I've said this before. It's like the, the church is much more like a hospital than it is a job interview. So that's my alarm saying, hurry up. Um, the church, is, should, we should be much more like a hospital than a job interview. If you think about it, you go to a job interview, what you do, you dress yourself up, get yourself smart. You know, you're looking at your best, just smiling and you know, pretending you're super confident, and actually you're terrified on the inside. Whereas a hospital waiting room, everyone's sitting there, they're sick, they're coughing, they're you know, not looking too good. But no one's pretending to look really well in the hospital waiting room. And I think as a church, we need to be like that. It's not, we don't need to just dump all of our problems on everyone, but it's, it's just being real. It's being able to say to a Christian brother or sister, can I speak with you? Can you pray for that? I'm really struggling with this right now. And when we do that, we have fellowship with one another. We find actually that if we confess our sins to one another... There's something incredible. You experience the grace of God through that. It's, it's one thing to confess your sins to God because he sees everything and, and you should do that as well. But there's also something about doing that with another human that God, it's like God takes that, that fear in us of being ashamed and then another Christian brother or sister says, yeah, you know I'm going to pray for you for that. Yeah, I totally get that. You know, and you encounter God's grace through that in a real way. And so it's really powerful. So I think, again, if you're just struggling with things, I would just encourage you, find a mature Christian, someone you trust, and you can say, actually, do you know what? I've never talked about this before, but I, I really hate this about myself. I want to I deal with this. Will you pray for me? And you'll find God's forgiveness in that. And that's what the Spirit does. He takes the worst things about us, and he transforms them and transforms us into trophies of his grace.
The church is a wonderful place where we can, you look around this room and you can see the diversity in this room. And if you could see what everyone had been through and all the sin in everyone's life and the, the disgusting stuff that we all do and think, you know, imagine our thought lives being projected on the screen there. Who would stay in the room to watch themselves? <laughs> I wouldn't. I've been having. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. That's the reality of our sin, isn't it? It's just, it's just awful. And, and when you're a Christian, you should hate that about yourself. You should hate your sins, detest it, and say, God, I don't want that in my life anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It just means that you don't want to. That's the power of the Spirit at work in you. And when you lay those things down before God, and when you say, God, please help me get out of this. Please change my heart. And when you share that with other Christian brothers and sisters, and you ask for help, and you humble yourself, God begins to work. And it's a slow and painful process. But it is not what our salvation is contingent on. God does not love a future version of you. God loves you just as you are. He saved you when you were at your worst. And he will sustain you throughout to the end. It's the good news of the gospel. He's got it. It's his work. It was a free gift of grace. When you were at your worst, wherever you're at now, it's still a free gift of grace. It's something he's done. It's solid. It's sure. And when you get that, you realize that actually you can say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. Before that, sin is your master. You're a slave, the Bible says. And so Ephesians 4, we're talking about fellowship with one another, um, just on a, a couple of chapters from where we've read. 1.6 says, as a prisoner for the Lord, so this is Paul again, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There it is again, the unity of the Spirit. The one thing that makes it all the same is we've, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and we've all got the same Spirit. That's the unity of the church. The church is all living by the same Spirit. There aren't better Christians and worse Christians. There's just Christians. So if you're part of this church, you don't, you don't need to feel bad for being different. You don't need to feel bad that you're struggling with things. You actually need to just come to another Christian and, and come to God and say, God, help me with this. I, I hate this about me. Change me. And he will. But it says be completely gentle, completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. So you go back to that friends analogy. Actually, there was just sin everywhere. If you watch that program with open eyes, and there were never any consequences for it, and that's not reality. The reality is we do sin. We sin against each other. We behave in ways that you know, we can sometimes be appalled with how other people are behaving. And you know, the Bible really speaks into that, how we, we don't judge one another for those things. But actually, we should be humble and gentle and bearing with one another in love. I hate it when people say, oh, I'm one of those people, I don't suffer fools gladly. It's like, well, you should. Because it's like a badge of honor. You know, I'm so proud I don't suffer. It's like, no, no, as Christians, we should suffer fools gladly because we are fools. Be humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. That's what it is to have fellowship. If someone comes to you and shares something with you, don't start telling them off and saying, well, you shouldn't behave like that. It's like, oh, let me pray for you. I struggle with stuff as well. And that fellowship, that incident, it gives us hope. Okay, I'm not the only one struggling with this. But it means we have to be vulnerable. That's hard. Actually, it's easier to be vulnerable up here and say stuff about myself than it is in a one-to-one conversation with someone. It's really important that we can be honest because it's through that honesty that you find fellowship and love and acceptance when another Christian accepts you as you are. 
That's just the wonderful thing that God has given us a family. He hasn't left us on our own. He hasn't saved us to then just live on our own and, and have nothing else to do with anyone else. Maybe there are certain people called in history where they go out on mission and, and do things like that. But ultimately, he calls us into fellowship with one another. And so it says, um, you know, there's many other passages in, that describe the church and how we should be together. It talks about us being like a body, where all the parts are different. You know, it's like if you stub your toe, it's like, you know, you feel it in your head, don't you? And it's like we do that. We, we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We are a body working together. We're like a family together. You know, all these different analogies of things working together. But with a body where Christ is the head. And so again, later on in Ephesians, it talks about that, that Christ is the head of the church. And it says that God put everything under his feet. But then when it talks about the church, he talks about us as the body. So we're above the feet. And actually, it says that we're going to rule and reign with Christ for eternity. That is our hope. That's our eternal hope, that we get to be with Jesus forever. That's what we look forward to. It's not about fixing everything in this life. It's how we can suffer. As a Christian, you may suffer immensely throughout this life, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God isn't at work in you. Actually, he's at work in you through your suffering. And I've found in my own life that through my suffering, I've had the deepest, most intimate times with God. And so I don't regret that suffering. I'm, I'm grateful for it. But what you can do is you can get looking on the inside and um, pom-poming, you know, that phrase, poor old me, poor old me. <laughs> Anyone ever done that? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. We all do that, but I've been doing it this week. Um, but <laughs> Catherine's like, you really need to stop thinking about yourself so much. Um, but I'm suffering. And I'm like, she's right, though, because I need to think about God and what he's done in my life and praise him for it. And so I just encourage you, if you're going through that, again, share what you're going through. Not to drag everyone down into your problems, but to say, will you pray for me? I believe God is in this. God is for me. Read your Bible. Know the truth of Scripture that he is for you. And that even if you die for the gospel, you're still going to spend eternity with Jesus. Amen? Amen? That is good news. We should be excited about that. And that's what keeps us going. It's not that God owes us a good life. He doesn't. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. So be encouraged by that. So it says in 2 verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You know, in Grace Church, we believe in membership of the church. Coming and saying, yeah, I'm part of this family. We're part of the family of God worldwide, but we're part of the local family as well. Come and join this church. Come and give your life to serving the church of God. Come and give your life to serving one another and being served. Wonderful story in, um, uh, in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes, and it says this in uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're going we're gonna to break bread together this morning. We're going to have communion. And it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is the kind of church we want to be. When people come in and see a church like that, they're like, oh, I want some of that. And we introduce them to Jesus and they get saved and then they join us. And the church grows. 
and we grow in favour and we grow in what we can do. And so here's some of the things that, um, that the church did in that passage there. They were devoted to one another. A few years have come up. So this is how they lived. They were devoted to one another. They had everything in common. They just looked after each other. And I know people in this church do this really well. They see a need and they go and sort it out and help. They had everything in common. They met regularly in homes. We do that with grace groups, midweek groups. Fellowship is not just for Sunday mornings. Let's do life together. Come and join a grace group if you're not in one. Come speak to one of the leaders and, and we'll, we'll make sure we get you into a group. They ate together, including communion, which we're going to do in a minute. They had glad and sincere hearts. There was joy amongst them. Is there joy in this room this morning? There is. We're going to worship together in a minute. There's going to be joy because of our salvation, because of what Jesus has done. And the result of this was that others looked in on, all, looked in on them in awe. They had favor with the people. We want to have favor with the people outside of this church. We want to be good for the city of Chichester. Amen? We want, to, we want to do good for the city and have favor. Because we care. Because we want people to come and find out about us. Because we want them to know Jesus. That's what we're here for. And they grew in number as people were saved and added to them. So both their fellowship and ours also point people to Jesus. It says this in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. I mean, it's not that new in a sense, is it? If you've read your Bible, <laughs> love one another. But it's John saying, come on, love one another. What does that look like? As I have loved you. And so sorry, it's Jesus saying it, not John, but John's writing it. Um, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's this missional element to us being in fellowship with one another. So why is fellowship one of our 10 core values? Well, it's who we are and who we're called to be. It's how we demonstrate the grace of God to each other and to the world around us. It's that, that intimacy, that friendship, that, that real picture of what friends was trying to get to. I think we can have that in the church. I think we do have it in the church. I've definitely experienced that. It's also how God sanctifies us. He changes us. He uses our fellowship with others to shape us, to challenge us, to encourage us and equip us. Do you get challenged by another Christian? Do you just run a mile and say, that's not what I signed up to? Or do you think, hang on, maybe God's being kind here and he's pointing something out in my life that I've not seen before. If we're humble and gentle and we're speaking the truth in love to one another, actually when you've got that level of intimacy, you give permission to speak into your life, it could be really hard. I can remember a Christian pointing something out to me once and I was like, I cannot see that in my life. And then I did and I was horrified. And actually, it was like a wound in the moment. But it was more like a, a surgeon's wound than the wound of an enemy. You know what I mean by that? If you're going to have an operation and have something removed, then you need someone to cut you to get out that poison. It was more like that. That's what it should be like. And so we need to be delicate. We need to be skillful. We need to come to people in love if we're going to share something like that. And also, we need to receive it. When people are making that effort just to try and speak truth into our lives, we need to... Be humble and, and say, maybe there's some truth in that. I need to go and think about and pray about it. It's really hard in the moment to accept it. That's why fellowship is so important to us at church. And so how, do we, how does it shape and affect the life of Grace Church? Well, we build our plans around times of fellowship. That's what we're doing this morning. We fellowship together. It's awful during COVID, worshipping in my front room. It was nice for a couple of weeks. I didn't have to get up so early. But... And I mean, I have my family. I can imagine, you know, if you're on your own and, and single, and you, you know, it's a terrible time, isn't it? The loneliness and everything. Actually, what a great place for lonely people to come. Come and meet one another. Come and share in each other's lives. And we hope, if you're, if you're someone that's on your own, and we hope you come and knit into this church. 
Even if you're not a Christian yet, come and join in and find out more about it. We hope you meet Jesus. We're going to tell you about him. But come and get stuck in anyway. And then what difference does fellowship make to us as individuals? You know, the church of Jesus Christ is where the presence of God is at work on this earth now. There's no temple now. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God is at work in his people. And so, as we come to a close, I'd like it if the band could come back up. And um, we're not finishing our morning, but we're finishing the preach, and we're going to move on to communion. And uh, there's a word for communion in the Bible, and it's the same word as the word for fellowship, which is koinonia. And so we're going to do that together. It's a really good way. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. Joe's going to lead us through it and, and how we go about that. But I just want you to take a moment and think about your commitment to the church, your commitment to the, your brothers and sisters here. Look around. These are your brothers and sisters. These are the people you're going to spend eternity with. Amen? Amen. Some of you look sad about that. <laughs> There'll be others there as well. But, but we won't be as we are. We'll be given new bodies and we'll have people without sin. And we look forward to that day. But God is at work in us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for fellowship. I thank you for fellowship with Jesus. Where would we be if you hadn't rescued us? Lord, and I thank you for our church. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. Lord, the people that have spoken into my life, that have challenged me when it was hard to do so. People that have cared for me when I've been suffering and prayed for me when I had nowhere to go. God, what a blessing that is. That is your hands and feet at work on this earth. It's how you do what you're going to do. Lord, you step in by giving us one another so often. So I pray you'll continue to do that this morning, Lord. I pray as we take communion together, there'll just be a sense of joy and fellowship. And Lord, I pray if there are those here this morning, Lord, that, that don't yet know you, Lord, that, that they'll be able to receive Jesus this morning, that your grace will come, that they'll realize their need for you, Jesus and that they'll be able to join us in communion for the first time in true fellowship, fellowship of your son. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.